But the new car, I would like for our Freddie to have. Freddie? But, Papa, you know how crazy Freddie is with his reckless driving and with the girls. Better you should give the car to Jack. <laughs> Mama, who's dying, you or me? <laughs> Once upon a time there was an engineer. Choo-choo Charlie was his name we hear. He had an engine and he sure had fun. He used good and plenty candy to make his train run. Another public service announcement from Brill Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you tuned into the ravings of a clown on Just Radio. <laughs> Don't argue with the ball. Roger, we'll go. It's as good as done. The complete solution for your home PC. Here I am, in the need no water. We don't need no stinky water. Let it burn. Let it burn, 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 baby. Let it burn. Hello, my name is Jimmy Pop, and I'm a dumb white guy. I'm not old. I'm not new. I'm a uh, middle school. Like junior high. I don't know props to my hoe cause she flies the other white me take the heat cause I'm the other white me known as kid shot a man I'm hung like planet Pluto hard to see with the naked eye but if I crashed into your rainus I would stick it where the sun don't shine cause I'm kind of like Han Solo always stroking my own you can call my cookie Hey, good evening. Welcome to the Ravings of a Clown on Just the Radio. That's all. We don't need nothing. We don't need no water. Let it burn, baby. Let it burn down. Just uh, put your feet up, put your head back. It's time for the Ravings of a Clown on Just the Radio with your host, the Jester. It's uh, Thursday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2000 and something, something. And uh, it's a leap year tomorrow. So uh, that's the day that uh, the women can ask the men to marry them. And they, uh, if they say no, the men have to like pay them uh, like 100 bucks or something. I think that's the that's the requirement, right? 
It's like a kind of Sadie Hawkins day for marriage, isn't it? So much going on in that sick fucking world of yours, and we're going to take a look at all that this evening. Plus, what's going on in that sick fucking world of mine and a playlist to plots from. That's right. We got Mata Hoople. We got the Stones. We got uh, Dylan. We got uh, Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. And so much more. Plus, we're taking your requests. Send them on in to request at jesterradio.com or simply stop by the Jester Radio website and click on requests and follow the simple instructions from there. You can also Skype in. You got something to say. You got something on your mind. You got something that's pissing you off. You got something that's riling you up. Well, you've come to the right place. You, uh, if you got Skype there running on your PC, just fire it up and uh, give us a call through Skype. Our Skype name is, you ready? Jot this down, Jester Radio. You got that? Or you can give us a call. The easiest way to get in touch, 646-502-8600. 646-502-8600. Jot that down because something I'm going to say later on is going to piss you off and you're going to want to you're going to want to phone in. So. All right, uh, time now? Okay. Time now to turn our attention to the headlines. Let it rip, uh, Bobby. Dun, 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 from high atop just the radio studios in a syncopation outside in a stereo city. That's my favorite part. Man it, man it. Oh, sorry. In a remarkable financial recovery, Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton raised $35 million in February, even as Democratic rival Barack Obama was outspending her in key March 4 battlegrounds. His financial superiority has been evident in the primary states of Texas and Ohio, which vote uh, on Tuesday and where he's purchased $7.5 million in advertising compared to her 4.6 targeting early voters, young voters, and voters in regions with concentrations of delegates. Duh. See, this is, I knew why I didn't like the delegate system, because they're spending a half a million dollars to campaign to, like, 40 people. Clinton's fundraising more than doubled her January uh, fundraising when she collected $14 million compared to Obama's 36. Clinton has lost 11 straight contests since Super Tuesday on February 5th, and her ability to raise money was all the more notable coming in the midst of all this uh, defeat. It was incredibly gratifying to see people come forth with this vote of confidence in me, Clinton told reporters, in Hanging Rock, Ohio. Obviously, this is a tremendous benefit to my campaign, but Obama has been raising money at an even greater rate, spending it too. Some estimates place his February fundraising at more than 50 mil, which would be about half of what he raised in all of 2007. Obama spokesman Bill Burton would not uh, divulge a total, but said, we raised considerably more than Clinton. <laughs> Obama's campaign has spent $2.5 million in ads in Ohio as of Tuesday uh, to her 1.3, according to TNS Media Intelligence Campaign Media Analysis Group, which tracks political ads. Clinton spent $3.3 mil in Texas. Obama spent $5.1. So this is, is this why he's winning? Because he's advertising to where the delegates live? Clinton began running a new ad in Ohio Thursday with uh, Ohio Governor Ted Strickland promoting her as a fighter. I think she's a person who has devoted her life to caring about other people, making sure that America works for everyone, not just the privileged few, Strickland says in the ad. Obama is targeting younger audiences in his ads, buying expensive prime time spots 
on programs such as American Idol and the evening sitcoms. On Tuesday, for instance, Obama bought 38 spots on American Idol, broadcast in Ohio and Texas, and in the two other March 4 primary states, Rhode Island and Vermont, Clinton bought only six spots on the show, <laughs> relatively small markets. She's where most of the traditional political buying is, said Evan Tracy, an ad analyst and president of TNS Media. He's in the choice real estate. It's the luxury end of political buying. So there you go. Maybe that accounts for his, um, maybe he's a little bit more political savvy than we ever suspected. And I tell you, man, if that's, you know, there's Jackson Brown said they sell, they said they, uh, said that uh, they sell us the president the same way they sell us our clothes and our cars. For the first time in U.S. history, more than one of every 100 adults in the United States is in jail or prison, according to a new report documenting America's rank as the number one incarcerator. It urges states to curtail correction spending by placing fewer low-risk offenders behind bars. Duh. Using state-by-state -state data, the report says... 2,319,258 adults were in jail or prison at the start of 2008. One out of every 99.1 adults. Are you getting this? Whether per capita or in raw numbers, it's more than any other nation. The report released today by the Pew Center on the state said that the 50 states spent more than $49 billion on corrections last year, up from less than 11, 20 years earlier. The rate of increase for prison costs was six times greater than for higher education spending. It costs more to incarcerate our criminals in this country than to put our kids through college. The steadily growing inmate population is saddling cash-strapped states with soaring costs that can ill afford and failing to have a clear impact either on recidivism or overall crime, the report said. Susan Oran, it's not even, it's not even uh, uh, curing recidivism. Or, or, or lowering the crime rate, in, incarcerating all these fucking people. Susan Uran, managing uh, director of the Pew Center of the state, said the budget woes uh, and uh, pressuring many states to consider new cost-saving corrections policies that might have been shunned in the recent past for fear of appearing soft on crime. We're seeing more and more states be, be, uh, being creative because of tight budgets, she said in an interview. They want to be tough on crime. They want to be law and order state, they want to save money, and they want to be effective. The report cited Kansas and Texas as states that have acted decisively to slow the growth of their inmate population. Uh, they're making greater use of community supervision for low-risk offenders and employing sanctions other than re-imprisonment for offenders who commit technical violations of parole and probation rules. So they, they give them punishment, but they don't put them back in jail every time they break parole. The new approach, born of bipartisan leadership, is allowing the two states to ensure they have enough prison beds for violent offenders while helping less dangerous lawbreakers become productive, tax-paying citizens, the report said. While many states' governments have shown bipartisan interests in curbing prison growth, there are also persistent calls to proceed cautiously. We need to be smarter, said David Mulhausen, a criminal justice expert with the Conservative Heritage Foundation. We're not incarcerating all the people who commit su uh, serious crimes, but we're also probably incarcerating people who don't need to be. According to the report, the inmate population increased last year in 36 states and the federal prison system. Uh, Kentucky was the, had the largest increase. They had 12%. So, of course, that's why they're looking at They just throw everybody in jail in Kentucky. What do you do? He tracked mud in on my house. Well... We'll have put him in jail. 
House Speaker Nancy Pelosi asked the Justice Department today to open a grand jury investigation into whether President Bush's chief of staff and former counsel should be prosecuted for contempt of Congress. Pelosi demanded that the department pursue misdemeanor charges against former White House counsel Harriet Myers for refusing to testify to Congress about the firings of federal prosecutors in 2006 and against Chief of uh, Staff Josh Bolton for failing to turn over White House documents relating to the dismissals. Of course, you all remember um, in uh, late 2006, we learned that uh, your president, uh, George Bush, um, uh, fired all of these federal prosecutors for political reasons, just because they weren't towing the company line. And that's just something... um, you, you you don't do obviously to uh, to to give any kind of uh, a semblance of value or trustworthiness. Uh, these guys have to be above politics. Otherwise, what the fuck? They're just enforcing the laws that the Republicans want. No, they have to be completely above that. And uh, when the Senate started investigating the White House for doing this, um, this um, you know uh, uh, all these. Uh, people in the White House started, uh, you know, losing shit and not cooperating and lying. She gave Attorney General Michael Mukasey one week to respond and said refusal to take the matter to a grand jury will result in the House's filing a civil lawsuit against the Bush administration. The White House branded the request as truly contemptible. The Justice Department said it had received Pelosi's request and anticipated providing further guidance after Mukasey's review. It noted, quote, long-standing department precedent in such cases against letting a U.S. attorney refer a congressional contempt citation to a grand jury or prosecute an executive branch. The top House Republican called it a bipartisan political stunt and complete waste of time. The Democrat-controlled House voted two weeks ago to hold Bolton and Myers in contempt for for, uh, failing to cooperate with the committee investigation. So I don't think it's a waste of time at all. If you spend $30 billion, you know, uh, getting getting to the bottom of a blowjob, then I think at least, you know, we could uh, look into uh, the the White House uh, lying and withholding uh, evidence, don't you? Hey, you're listening to The Ravings of a Clown. It's Thursday, February the 28th, the eve of that magical extra day. And, you know, I'm just a poor man, a poor boy, po' boy. Though my story seldom told, I have squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles. Such are promises. I am just a poor boy, though my story seldom told. I have squandered my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles. Such are promises. All lies and chess, still a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest.
asking only workman's wages I come looking for a job but I get no offers Just to come on from the wars on 7th Avenue I do declare there were times when I was so lonesome I took some comfort there la 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 Simon and Garfunkel on Just Radio, The Boxer. All right, that'll do. Calm down, everybody. 
Uh, asking only workmen's wages, I come looking for a job, but I get no offers. Just a come on from the whores on 7th Avenue. I do declare there were times when I was so lonesome, I took some comfort there. La, 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 la. So, proving once again, not only do I know all the words, but I know every fucking note, too. Hey, you're listening to the Roovings of Acclaim on Jester Radio, coming to you from a secret location, so please don't ask. An explosion possibly caused by a gas tank leak ripped through a suburban Chicago shopping plaza today, injuring at least eight people and rattling nearby buildings. Five people were taken to Vista East Medical Center, none with life-threatening injuries. Four were discharged by this evening. Uh, three people were treated for injuries at the scene. Deputy Fire Chief Dan uh, Young said authorities believe the incident was caused by a gas explosion. Some shop owners said they they smelled gas for the uh, last couple of days. You would think they might have they might have mentioned it to somebody. Officials were ninety nine point ninety nine percent sure the rubble had been cleared, and there was no reason to believe anyone was missing. The whole back of the building was pancaked. Young said the blast struck about lunchtime in the business district, 40 miles north of Chicago, shattering windows, collapsing the roof of the plaza, which housed a cell phone shop, a tuxedo store and a hair salon. And, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, the rural America could never have enough of those. Candy Rixie said she was taking orders at Leno's submarine shop a block away from the shopping plaza when the blast hit. We felt... Like an earthquake, like somebody had just hit the building with a car, she said. Rixie said she ran out of the restaurant to see what had happened. She and others said they first saw, uh, thought they saw bodies in the street, but quickly realized it was the uh, mannequins that had been on display in the store and were blown out by the blast. Wow. That's kind of creepy. Then he saw a big brown cloud and debris coming toward him. To see a building coming toward you like that, words can't describe the feeling you, you get, he said. It was frightening. It was ominous. He said he smelled a strong odor of gas immediately after the blast. It's amazing that anybody survived. People's gas spokesman Bonnie Johnson said a crew was at the scene but hadn't been able to get close enough to say what might have caused the explosion. David Motley, spokesman for the city, Waukegan, said the brick building was decades old. The roof blew up and off and fell back down, he said. George Sanchez, general manager of the Chicago-based Mina Travel Agency, said his company's Waukegan branch was adjacent to the explosion and employees inside felt the vibrations, but the store wasn't damaged by the blast. Our folks are okay. They were asked to vacate the premises for safety, he said. Waukegan has a population of about 88,000, so it's just a teeny tiny little burg. Hey, guess what? President Bush said today the country's not recession-bound. Hallelujah. You're going to get that 300 bucks in the mail in a couple of weeks, and we'll all be set. Despite expressing concern about slowing economic growth, rejected for now... Any additional stimulus efforts. We've acted robustly, he said. And by that, he means he sent everybody 300 bucks. And by the way, that's just everybody living on the grid. The people that don't pay taxes, they ain't getting shit. We'll see the effects of this pro-growth package, Bush told reporters at a White House news conference, acknowledging that some lawmakers already are talking about a second stimulus package. Why don't we let stimulus package one, which seemed like a good idea at the time, have a chance to kick in? 
Bush's view of the economy was decidedly rosier than uh, many economists. But what do they know? They just say the country is nearing recession territory and may already be there. I'm concerned about the economy, he said. I don't think we're headed into recession, but no question we're in a slowdown. Whoa. Well, there you go. George Bush says we're in a slowdown. The centerpiece of government efforts to brace the wobbly economy is a package Congress passed and Bush signed last month. It'll rush rebates ranging from three to $1,200 to millions of people and give tax incentives to businesses. That's all we need is for businesses to pay less taxes. One uh, issue particularly worrisome to American consumers, there are indications that paying $4 a gallon of gasoline is not out of the question once the summer driving season arrives. Asked about that, Bush said, that's interesting. I haven't heard that. I know it's high now. It's interesting that gas may go to $4. He, I'm, how much do you want to bet that George Bush hasn't the faintest idea what gas costs? I know it's high now. It's got to be a buck fifty. Bush also telegraphed optimism about the U.S. dollar, which, of course, has been declining in value. I believe that our economy has got the fundamentals in place for us to grow and continue growing more robustly, hopefully, than we're growing now, he said. Uh, so we're still for a strong dollar. Hmm. Well, I got to tell you, you know, it's comments like that that make me wonder, is he mentally retarded or is he just being a dick? Bush also used his news conference to press Congress to give telecommunications companies legal immunity by helping the government eavesdrop after the September 11 attacks. We've been talking about this nonstop for weeks. He's been carrying on that this law expired that allows him to tap anybody's fucking phone anytime he wants. And on top of it all, he's stuck in the law that the telephone companies are impervious from prosecution by citizens for cooperating with the government and doing this. And thankfully, this law was not fucking renewed. And thankfully, these hopefully all these lawsuits will go ahead against these phone companies because that's the only time they'll stop. Apparently, they you know they, they haven't heard about the um, you know rule about the uh, the Fourth Amendment or the Fifth Amendment or requiring a warrant to to search your property. So I guess they need to be sued in order to learn about that. He continued a near-daily uh, effort to prod lawmakers into passing his version of a law to make it easier for the government to conduct domestic eavesdropping on suspected terrorist phone calls and emails. He said the country is in more danger now that a temporary surveillance law has expired. And the proof, of course, that he has for that is nothing. It's all a secret. They won't tell us what the proof is because they can't tell us. And we should just take their word for it. And we should take their word for it because they've been so honest with us. So far, the president and Congress are in a showdown over Bush's demand on the immunity issue. Bush said the companies helped the government after being told that their assistance was legal and vital to national security. Allowing those lawsuits to proceed would be unfair, he said. Well, I disagree. I think it would be perfectly fair um, just having the White House lawyers tell you that something is legal doesn't make it legal. You have to, you know... Look at the law yourself. You can't just go by what other people say, especially when those other people have a agenda and they don't obviously care about the law or the Constitution. So I don't think it's fair. Allow those lawsuits to go through and then allow the, the phone company to, uh, you know, sue George Bush. 
More important, Bush added, the litigation process could lead to the disclosure of information about how we conduct surveillance, and it would give al-Qaeda and others a roadmap as to how to avoid the surveillance. The Senate passed its version. I mean, he's got to be kidding me. All you got to do is fire up Skype, and that's it. No surveillance. There's no there's there's end to end encryption on Skype. The Senate passed its version of the surveillance bill. By the way, this is such a specious, stupid, ridiculous fucking thing. This cocksucker is acting like there's no way to spy on fucking people that are criminals. If they're actually criminals, go get a fucking warrant, like everybody's been doing for the past two hundred and seventy years. That's the law of the land. Why should Bush and the war on terrorism be exempt from the law of the land? Because it makes their jobs easier? Because it makes us more secure? None of those arguments fly for me. I'd rather be less secure and more free. So that's how I vote. And not everybody um, thinks like these people think. So... The Senate passed its version of the surveillance bill earlier this month, and it provides retroactive legal protection for telecom companies that wiretap U.S. phones and and computer lines at the the government's request uh, without court permission. The House version, approved in October, does not include the telecom immunity. Telecom companies face about 40 lawsuits for their alleged role in wiretapping their American customers. Senator Democrats appeared unwilling to budge. As Bush began speaking, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Patrick Leahy cast the president's position as a tiresome campaign to avoid accountability for the unlawful surveillance of Americans. The president once again is misusing his bully pulpit, Leahy said. Once again, they're showing they're not above fear-mongering if that's what it takes to get their way. Bush criticized the Democratic presidential candidates over their attempts to disassociate themselves from the North American Free Trade Agreement a free trade pact between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Bush said the deal is contributing to more and better-paying jobs for Americans. It's, of course, absurd. It's the stupidest um, thing. It's obviously just uh, making things easier for American companies. So when he says Americans, he's not talking about which Americans because it's only very few Americans that NAFTA is helping, big business. But for the average fella, um, it's just awful. The idea of just unilaterally withdrawing from a trade treaty because of uh, trying to score political points is not good policy, he said. It's not good policy on the merits, and it's not good policy as a message to send to people who have, in good faith, signed a treaty and worked with us on a treaty. So it's about message sending. And you know what? Here's my message. Suck my big, fat, hairy dick. That's my fucking message as an American to Canada and New Mexico. No offense, Sid. This must be some way out of here, said the jester to the thief. There's too much confusion. It's the jester himself on JR. Please don't fuck with that dial. There must be some way out of here, said the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessmen, they drink my wine Plowmen dig my earth None of them along the line Know what any of it is worth There 
The thief he kindly spoke There are many here among us Who feel that life is but a joke But you and I, we've been through that And this is not our fate So let us not talk falsely now The hour is getting late All along the watchtower Princes kept the view servants too Outside in the distance A wild cat did growl Two riders were approaching The wind began to howl Gardener's daughter stopped me on my way On the day I was to wed It is you who I wish to share my body with She said We'll find a dry place under the sky With a flower for a bed For my joy, I will give you a boy with a moon and star on his head. Her silver hair flowed in the air, laying waves across the sun. Her hands were like the white sands And her eyes had diamonds on We left the road and headed up To the top of the Whisper Wood And we walked till we came to where The Holy Magnolia stood There we lay, cool in the shade, singing songs and making love. With the naked earth beneath us and the universe above. My wedding wouldn't wait I was sad But I had to go 
So while she was asleep, I kissed her cheek for cheerio. The wedding took place and people came from many miles around. There was plenty merriment, cider and wine abound. Out of all that I recall, I remember the girl I met. Cause she had given me something that my heart could not forget. La 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 la. The year passed and everything was just as it was The year before, or as it was the year before Until the gift that someone left Basket by my door And in there lay the fairest little baby Crying to be fair I got down on my knees and kissed the moon and stars On his head Years went by, the boy grew high And the village upped on in all They'd never seen anything like the boy With the moon and star before And people would ride from far and wide Just to seek the word he spread I'll tell you everything I've learned And love is all he said Cat Stevens on Jester Radio The Boy with the Moon and Stars on His Head a um, beautiful uh, song about his awakening to Islam in um, very tender and beautiful uh, uh, ideas that he uh, meets this chick on the day he's uh, going to get married. Gardner's daughter stops me on my way on the day I was to wed. And she goes up to a hill and she fucks him. And then uh, he goes to the wedding, goes about his business. And then a year has uh, passed, and everything is just as it was the year before, until the gift that someone left, a basket by my door. And in there lay the fairest little baby crying to be fed. Uh, and I got down on my knees and kissed the moon and star on his head. So it's a little 
little inkling of uh, Islam that has just come to him. But I wonder two things now, thinking back on this beautiful song, landmark uh, album, uh, Catch Bullet 4. Um, uh, one, would the, the, um, the branch of Islam that he eventually got m- mixed up with, would they allow such metaphors? of the Prophet Muhammad being, you know, uh, born as a result of uh, uh, infidelity, out of marriage, uh, scrumping with the farmer's daughter, uh, and uh, and then uh, coming to him as a, in the living incarnation of a baby in a basket, they might frown on that. I mean, they don't like, you know, you, they don't like the teacher naming the, the hamster Muhammad, and they don't like cartoonists drawing pictures of Muhammad, they they shut down the YouTube because there was a preview of a video that was going to come out, not even the video itself, but a preview uh, that contained uh, references to those uh, Danish cartoons, the blasphemous cartoons, the famous uh, cartoons. And the other thing I wonder about is at the end, uh, the you know the 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 boy you know, gr- grows up and the and the village looks on in awe. They've never seen anything like the boy with the moon and the star before, and people came from miles around just to hear the word he spread. I'll tell you everything I've learned, and love is all he said. So I wonder now how he justifies that with you know paying for you know kids to strap bombs to their chests blow themselves up all along the watchtower started that set the jester himself you're tuned into the ravings of a clown this thursday february the 28th the year of the extra day hanging in the jester radio chat room why not stop by if you got a pair 646-502-8600 gets you live on the air 646-502-8600 give us a call let us know what you're thinking or skype in jester radio is our Skype name. The FBI took up the Roger Clemens case today, told by the Justice Department to investigate whether the star pitcher lied when he testified to Congress he never took performance-enhancing drugs. You would think there's nothing going on in the United States. Healthcare is in the toilet. Fucking 70% of all kids are uninsured or some shit. I just made that number up. But, you know, they say that 37% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Uh, we got, uh, you know, two wars going on. We got uh, a fucking city in Louisiana that still, you know, looks like fucking uh, Lebanon after the war from a hurricane two years ago. And these fucking retards, man, are arguing about whether or not these uh, baseball people should be taking hormones. My God, my God. Can you think of anything that matters less? The FBI's involvement was announced one day after the leaders of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee told Attorney General Michael Mukasey they weren't sure whether Clemens told the truth under oath at a February 5th deposition and February 13th public hearing. A probe could result in charges against the seven-time Cy Young Award winner for perjury, making false statements or obstruction of justice. Congress did not ask for a similar investigation for Brian McNamee, the former personal trainer who testified under oath that he injected Clemens with steroids and human growth hormone. The request to open an investigation on the congressional testimony of Roger Clemens has been turned over to the FBI 
and we will receive appropriate investigative action by the FBI's Washington field office. FBI spokeswoman Deborah Weiserman said, as with the, you didn't think there were that many Jews in the FBI, did you? They sneak in there. They're here, they're there. As with Barry Bonds and Marion Jones, Clemens faces scrutiny from federal authorities more for what he said than what he might have done. Bonds, baseball's home run king and seven-time MVP, was indicted uh, in November on perjury and obstruction of justice charges stemming from 2003 grand jury testimony in which he denied knowing any illegal performance, uh, um, knowingly uh, used uh, any illegal performance-enhancing drugs. And, you know, the whole fucking world watched those hearings and just shook their head saying, my God, he's lying through his fucking teeth. And it didn't seem to bother him. You know, you got to ask yourself about people like that who get up in front of people and lie. You got to ask yourself about lying to begin with. Like, what's up with lying? What are we preserving? What When 99 times out of 100, 999 times out of 1,000, lying gets you further in the soup than not. Who doesn't know that? Anything but a fucking seven-year-old. Lying never works. Just like torture never works. Everybody knows that. You could fucking, you know, tie a car battery to a guy's testicles. He'll fucking whistle Dixie out of both ends of his ass if you want him to. Whatever you want. Public documents show Michael Jackson has repeatedly failed to make mortgage payments on a Los Angeles home that's been used for years by his family. Documents filed with the L.A. County Recorder's Office indicate the reclusive pop star was most recently in default last month on the property in Encino, an area in the San Fernando Valley. The singer had $153,910 in missed payments as of January 14th on a $4 million loan serviced by Pasadena-based mortgage lender IndyMac. Documents dated February 7th show the notice of default was withdrawn. Documents also show Jackson previously faced possible default over missed payments on the home in April and August. The spokeswoman for Jackson did not immediately return calls for comment. Jackson's Neverland property in Los Olivos, California, is set to be auctioned off on March 19th because of missed payments on a $24.5 million loan. The guy, he's just going into default. Why didn't he just sell this shit? Crazy. Crazy boy. You would think, you know, just being rich doesn't make you smart, huh? Even poor people know that when you can't afford the mortgage, you pack them up and you move. A bloody spike in Israel, Hamas fighting put the Israeli city of Ashkelon on its, uh, its uh, 110,000 residents at the center of an intensifying militant rocket barrage today. And Israel's defense minister warned that he would invade Gaza if necessary to halt the attack. So they're up in arms again. Uh, the Israelis are bombing the fuck out of the Palestinians. They killed 20 of them, including a missile attack on a guard post outside um the, uh, Gaza's Prime Minister Hania's house. But he's been in hiding, so they, they missed him. The dead today included members of rocket squads as well as five children ranging in age, age from 8 to 12 who their relatives said were playing soccer when they were killed in a missile strike. Damn. You know, I have these very strong mixed feelings every time I hear these tar- terrible reports 
coming out of um, the Gaza, uh, especially when it just seems like every single time um, there's a strike that kids die. And they, and they have been known to like completely lie about the ages of kids. So somebody that's 32 will die and they'll say he was 12. They do it all the fucking time just to like get world uh, sympathy. So on the one hand, it could have very easily been a kid. You know, they put their fucking missile silos right up there, you know, residential you know, places. That's a, that's a classic terroristic ploy. You know, they put their, uh, their, their missile bases where the civilians live. And then when civilians get killed, you know, it's just collateral damage to them. They just use it as PR. So on the one hand, it could be kids, and on the other hand, they could be lying. So, but in any case, twenty people dead, um, and uh, that you know, ten thousand year old tribal conflict uh, rages on in the Middle East. I see a red door, and I want it painted black. No colors anymore. I want them to all turn black. Stones on Jr.
Dean Fader, faculty, graduating seniors, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen. As president of the graduating class, it is my honor to introduce this evening's guest speaker. Uh, I must confess that we were a bit frantic this morning as our originally scheduled speaker, Geraldo Rivera, uh, suddenly fell ill and was forced to cancel. I'm told that it uh, was nothing serious, a little minor surgery that had to be taken care of, and I understand that Mr. Rivera is feeling better and regrets that he can't be with us this evening. Uh, however, we were fortunate to find a most distinguished replacement. Oh! Who's that I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. You sure are looking good. You're everything a big bad wolf could want. Listen to me. Little Red Riding Hood. I don't think little big girls should go walking in these spooky old Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs on Jester Radio. Man, you should have heard uh, Jesterette number one do that when she was like six years old. She did the best version of that song. Hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown on JR. I used to know one of the Shamettes, Linda Oxendine. She was like the first lesbian I ever really knew that I was ever really friends with. And she had an unbelievable voice. And to her, becoming background vocalist, you know, for a big, you know, act was like the pinnacle of her career. But she loved to sing, but she 
just didn't have the gizzard to be a uh, you know a front a front woman. Plus, she was a heroin addict for like twenty years. Prince Harry has been serving on the front line in Afghanistan with the British Army, calling in airstrikes on Taliban positions and going out on foot patrols. Officials said the prince, a lieutenant in the Blues and Royals Regiment, was still deployed in the country. His conduct on operations in Afghanistan has been exemplary, said the head of the Army General, Richard Dannett. He's been fully involved in operations and has run the same risk as everyone else in the battle group. Harry, who is third in line to the throne, has been in Afghanistan since December, it now turns out. The planned deployment had been disclosed to reporters with no specific date and was not reported previously under a pool agreement between the Ministry of Defense and all major news organizations operating in Britain, including the AP. The news blackout was intended to reduce the risk to the prince uh, and his regiment. They figured the fucking <laughs> the Iraqis would go straight for the prince. It's nice to just be here with all the guys and just mucking in as one of the lads, said Harry, who's expressed bitter disappointment when he was banned from going to Iraq with his battalion last year. Army chief said publicly uh, that publicity surrounding his deployment could put him and his unit at risk. Well, good for him. It, uh, the, the story that I heard, the rumor going around, is that he went to uh, his, uh, the, the queen and said, you know, I feel like I should be doing something about this uh, war in the Middle East. She said, fucking sign up and go. What are you waiting for? What do you mean, what should you do? Hey, don't be alarmed. More than 130 million households are about to get letters from the Internal Revenue Service beginning next week, and it's good news this time, not bad. The letters are part of an extensive outreach effort to make sure people don't miss out if they're eligible to receive a tax rebate check under the recently passed $168 billion economic stimulus plan. The IRS letters will remind people to file a 2007 tax return so they receive the stimulus payment. Pay your taxes so you get the 300 bucks back. Duh! It just, um, you know, just makes all the sense in the world. Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson said the uh, Treasury and the IRS would work hard to get the word out. For the majority of Americans, all they need to do is file a tax return. And, of course, you know, pop in that uh, check for the, uh, what do you call, taxes. He said the IRS would also be working with the Department of Veterans Affairs, the Social Security Administration, and private groups such as AARP to reach out to those who do not normally file a return and ensure they know how to get their stimulus payment this year. The IRS mailing will be titled Economic Stimulus Payment Notice, and it will alert people that they may be eligible for a one-time stimulus payment up to 600 bucks for individuals or 1200 bucks for a married couple filing jointly. The stimulus package that Congress passed earlier this month in an effort to give the weak economy a jump start also includes a $300 per child payment for qualifying children under 17. Apparently, to be qualifying, they have to be, I guess, I don't know, white. The IRS notices are informational. Do not seek any financial information. The mailings will go to taxpayers who filed a tax return last year. So that counts me out. The notice states that uh, to receive a stimulus payment, individuals do not have to do anything more then file the 2007 tax return. The IRS will figure eligibility, figure the amount, and send the payment, the IRS says. This payment should not be confused with any 2007 income tax refund 
that is owed to you by the federal government. The IRS letter says that the 2007 refunds will be made separately from the one-time stimulus payments. So here's your refund. Here's your stimuli. Now go, quick, pay your bills. Hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio, hanging in the Jester Radio chat room with uh, the folks. Why not stop by and say hi? 646-502-8600, 646-502-8600. Gets you live on the air with uh, your old pal, the Jester. Why not phone in? Say hi. It's so fucking lonely in here. You have no idea. These four gray walls that surround me. And then I realized I was only dreaming. Hey, uh, you know, did I ever tell you this is uh, the eve before um, the big extra day? Uh, I always get very excited about leap years for some reason. It's just I love, like, anomalies and science and weirdness. Uh, as you know, the year 2000, although it was divisible by a four, was not a leap year because it was not also divisible by... Um, the ones that are are also divisible by 400 are not leap years. So it's complicated. If the year is divisible by four, then it is a leap year unless it's uh, also divisible by 400, in which case it's not. So 2000 is not a leap year, but 1900 was. You with me on this? All right, well, if you're with me on this, then follow this. Ten years ago, on a cold, dark night, someone was killed neath the town hall light. And there were few at the scene, but they all agreed. Ten years ago, on a cold, dark night, someone was killed neath the town hall light. There were few at the scene, but they all agreed that the slayer who ran looked a lot like me. She walks these hills in a long black veil. She visits my grave when the night winds wail. Nobody knows, nobody sees, nobody knows but me. The judge said, son, what is your alibi if you were somewhere else? Then you won't have to die. I spoke not a word, though it meant my life. I'd been in the arms of my best friend's wife. <laughs> Did I hear somebody applaud? <laughs> now the scaffold is high and eternity's near. She stood in the crowd and shed not a tear. But sometimes at night when the cold wind moans in a long black veil, she cries over my bones She walks these hills In a long black veil She visits my grave When the night winds wave 
Nobody knows, nobody sees Nobody knows but me Can I have a glass of water? Judge said, son, what is your alibi? If you were somewhere else, then you don't have to die. I spoke not a word, though it meant my life. I had been in the arms of my best friend's wife. You don't want to say that out loud. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Thursday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2008. 646-502-8600, President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad declared today that Iran was the world's number one power as he launched a bitter new assault on domestic critics that he accused of siding with the enemy. Everybody has understood. Clearly, clearly this guy is uh, uh, insane from the advanced stages of gonorrhea because every fucking day he just gets wild. He reminds me of uh, Gaddafi a little bit back in his heyday, but this guy seems a lot more fucking dangerous because he's smart. And he's uh, extremely uh, charismatic. Everybody has understood that Iran is the number one power in the world, Ahmadinejad said in a speech to families who lost loved ones in the 1980-1988 Iran-Iraq war. Today the name of Iran means a firm punch in the teeth of the powerful, and it puts them in their place, he added in the address broadcast live on state television. That's what you want your, your president to say. We punched our enemies in the teeth. That's that's dignified. Ahmadinejad's comments come amid renewed Western efforts on the UN Security Council to agree to a third package of sanctions against Tehran over its refusal to send uh, to suspend sensitive nuclear activities. Of course, you know he tells his people that um, that Iran is the number one country in the world, and how would they know otherwise? He blocks access. They have to any knowledge outside their country, outside, you know, in the outside world. He can tell them anything. He can tell them that fucking, you know, pigs fly. How would they know any better? They also come a day after the former top nuclear uh, negotiator, Hassan Rouhani, launched an unprecedented attack on Ahmadinejad's foreign policy, accusing him of using coarse slogans and grandstanding. You can see how some people here try to materialize the plans of the enemies and by showing that Iran is small and the enemy is big. These are people who put the enemies of humanity in the place of God, he said. Uh, obviously a deeply religious man. He also told the families of the martyrs of the war that their loss was not in vain in the message of the Islamic Revolution of 1979 that ousted the pro-U.S. Shah... Uh, that was spreading all over the world. Today, the message of your revolution is being heard in South America, East Asia, in the heart of Europe, and even in the United States itself, he said. Ahmadinejad said he talked with people everywhere. He traveled in the world, and it's like I'm in District 17 in Tehran, referring to the low-income area in the south of the Iranian capital where he was giving his speech. Ahmadinejad is due to travel to Iraq uh, on Sunday in the first visit by a president of the Islamic Republic to its western neighbor. So he's, you know, this is exactly, by the way, what Hitler did. He traveled around to all, you know, his uh, neighbors and made nicey-nicey. Then, of course, you know, he betrayed them all. 
He talks with people everywhere that he travels in the world. By the way, you're not allowed to leave, but I, on behalf of you, have traveled around the world to many places. You need to stay, but I can go, and wherever I do, it's just like this filthy slum right here. What do you think of that? And the people just fucking cheer. They're like, what? Yeah, that's great. What does that even mean? Uh, John McCollum was in excellent health at 155 pounds when he, less, when he left last summer to spend the school year as an exchange student in Egypt. But when he returned home to Maine just four months later, four months, the five foot nine teenager weighed a mere 97 pounds and was so weak that he struggled to carry his baggage or climb a flight of stairs. Doctors said he was at risk of a heart attack. McCollum says he was denied sufficient food while staying with a family of Coptic Christians who fast for more than 200 days a year, a regimen unmatched by other Christians. Can you imagine these fucking wackos? Can you imagine this poor kid, this uh, organization that sends kids out on volunteer work around the world, sent them to live with Coptic Christians who don't eat 200 days of the year? The poor kid starved to death. He does not view the experience as a culture clash. Rather, he said, get this, it reflected mean and stingy treatment by his host family and a language barrier that made it difficult to communicate. The weight loss concerned me, but I wanted to stick it out the whole year, he said in an interview at his family's house outside Augusta. Friends and teachers at his English-speaking school in Egypt urged him to change his host family, but he stayed put after being told that the other home was in a dangerous neighborhood in Alexandria. After returning to the United States, he was hospitalized for nearly two weeks. The 17-year-old has regained about 20 pounds, but his parents say he's not the same boy he was when he left under the auspices of AFS International Programs. He was outgoing, a straight-A student, very athletic, said his mother, Elizabeth McCollum, who was shocked when she met her son at the airport on January 9th and saw that he had lost one-third of his weight. Now he's less spontaneous, more subdued. Jonathan McCollum's parents said the exchange program should have warned them that students placed with Coptic families would be subject to dietary restrictions. Marlene Baker, communication director of AFS headquarters in New York, declined to discuss McCollum's experience. She referred calls to the program's lawyer, in Portland, Patricia Pord, who said that she couldn't comment because the uh, case of the potential for a lawsuit. McCollum said that his host family gave him only meager amounts of food and that his condition worsened during the last seven weeks when the family observed a fast, limiting the amount of animal protein he was given. The host father, Sheikahana, his name is, this is the Egyptian family where he stayed, where this 17-year-old boy who lost one-third of his body weight, he says that his story is a lie, suggesting he made it up because his parents were hoping to recover some of the money they paid for his stay as compensation. He really wasn't 97 pounds, he's claiming. The truth is the boy we hosted for nearly six months, and by the way, it was four months, so I guess that's why he's worried about having to give the money back, was eating for an hour and a half at every meal, Hannah said. The amount of food he ate at each meal was equal to six people. This is what the host father said. Just the opposite. So maybe the family mistook and he came home weighing 297 pounds. He added that the boy was active, constantly exercising, and playing sports. 
McCollum sometimes bought food, but at one point was reduced to stealing it from a supermarket. He was caught, but the store accepted a small amount of money, he said, and let him go. Still, McCollum did not complain to his parents. They first sent something was amiss shortly before Christmas when they got emails from their son and one of his teachers about seeking a new host family. They also saw a picture of him on Facebook, which showed that he had lost a lot of weight. In early January, the teacher sent another email saying that McCollum was in bad shape and really, really needs to go home. McCollum said AFS provided false assurances that he had seen a doctor and was in excellent health. AFS is a nonprofit formerly uh, known as American Field Service. Uh, it's one of the largest and oldest organizers of student exchanges. And since its founding as a ambulance corps during World War One, the agency has arranged exchanges for 325,000 Americans and foreign students from more than 50 countries. Kid lost a third of his weight in Egypt. Why am I not surprised? Hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. Don't you want to rain down the rum, 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 rain down some rum, rum with me?
Oh, Jimmy, don't even worry well, no, about no, no, it. Wait a minute, don't think about anything. I'm going to ask you a question. When you came pulling in here, did you notice a sign on the front of my house that said dead nigger storage? Jimmy, you know I ain't seen no shit. Did you notice a sign in the front of my house that said dead nigger storage? No. I didn't. You know why you didn't see that sign? Because it ain't there, because storing dead niggers ain't my fucking business. That's why. Well, Jimmy, we're not going to store them. Don't you fucking realize, man, that if Bonnie comes home and finds a dead body in her house, I'm going to get divorced? All right, no marriage counseling, no trial separation. I'm going to get fucking divorced, okay? And I don't want to get fucking divorced. Now, man, you know, fuck. I mean, I want to help you, but I, I don't want to lose my wife doing it, all right? Jimmy, Jimmy, she ain't going to leave. Don't me. fucking Jimmy me, Jules, okay? Don't fucking Jimmy me. There's nothing that you're going to say that's going to make me forget that I love my wife. Is there?
R.E.M. on Just Radio. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight. Losing my religion. Hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown on Just Radio. We heard from the uh, Guess Who before that. That's not a trivia question. That's the name of the band. The name of the song was Rain Dance. And it's Thursday, February the 28th, the day before that extra day, the year of our Lord, 2008. And so far this evening, you've been listening to the ravings of a clown. Here on Jester Radio, and so very glad you did. Why not stop by the Jester Radio chat room and say hi, uh, and give us a call, 646-502-8600. What the fuck do we got to do to get you people to give us a call? Come on already. Don't be shy. A mail carrier was trapped inside her car for nearly two hours at a home near Hanover, Pennsylvania, after a pair of dogs attacked her tires, flattening three of them. Robin Barton had to summon help by cell phone. When the police arrived, the dog attacked the cruiser's tires as well. Authorities were preparing to tranquilize the dog's uh, judge and justice, a Rottweiler and a pit bull mix, before the surprised and apologetic homeowners arrived. Stephanie Deckelbaum, the dog's owner, called them generally sweethearts and blamed the attack on a tire toy the dogs had recently been given. So they were given a tire toy. (laughs) And they didn't know the difference between the tire and the car tire, see? And they were just, just precious little doggies. A man found out that February in the East Tennessee Mountains isn't the best time to try hiding from the law underwater. The Blount County Sheriff's Office says James Earl Jett fled an accident in Rockford after deputies found out the truck he was driving was reported stolen. Jett was found by a K-9 unit in the nearby Little River, which flows from Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Only his face was above the surface with his body concealed by a submerged tree. The high temperature in the area on Wednesday was 34 degrees with a dusting of snow. Authorities said the 33-year-old refused to come up and had to be manually extracted. He was treated for hypothermia at the local hospital and then released. Jet was charged with leaving the scene of an accident and is expected to be charged in Knox County in the theft of a truck. Okay, it's time now for Turn Up the Music, I Can't Hear the Words. This is the uh, time, um, once in a uh, uh, long while, where we uh, listen to the words of a song, but we really listen to them and we analyze them and see what's going on. This is a um, a song by the late, great Harry Chapin, and it's one of his beautiful story uh, songs. The cool thing about his story songs was it wasn't enough that he... he um, uh, took a nice, you know, cool uh, story and and put it to beautiful music and lyrics, but his stories were actually very intriguing, and sometimes had like little twist endings, like with the cats in the cradle. Uh, you know, the kid turns around and doesn't have time for the dad. You know, so there's a little bit more to it than just uh, uh, Moon Spoon and June. And here we have a song that he wrote called The Rock. And one might imagine that there may be all kinds of 
uh, motivation for writing a song like this. He was a political activist and 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 campaigned hard against uh, uh, a nuclear um, uh, power facilities and uh, for feeding the children. He he founded a charity that's still going very strong today out on Long Island back in the seventies. Um, called Feed the Children. So, uh, so the song was called The Rock, and this is how the words went. The rock is going to fall on us. He woke with a start, and he ran to his mother, the fear dark in his heart. And he told her of the vision that he was sure he'd seen, and she said, go back to sleep, son. You're having a bad dream. Everybody knows the rock leans over the town. Everybody knows that it won't tumble to the ground. Remember Chicken Little and the sky was falling down? Well, nothing ever came of that, and the world still whirls around. The rock is going to fall on us, he stood and told the class. The professor put his chalk down and peered out through his glasses, but he went on and said, I've seen it high up on the hill. If it doesn't fall this year... Then very soon it will. The rock is going to fall on us, he told the magistrates. I believe that we can stop it, but the time is getting late. You see, I've done all the research. My plans are all complete. And he was showing them contingencies when they showed him to the street. And throughout this song, we hear the same chorus. Everybody knows the rock leans over the town. Everybody knows... The world won't tumble to the ground. And the first time the chorus is the background singers are singing Silly Boy. And then when he's a little older and he stands in front of his classroom, they're singing Crazy Boy. And when he goes to the magistrates, they're singing Just a Madman. And finally, he went up to the mountain beside the giant stone. And they knew that he was insane, so they left him all alone. He'd given up enlisting help, for there was no one else. He spent his days devising ways to stop the rock himself. And one night, while he was working, building braces on the ledge, the ground began to rumble, and the rock trembled on the edge. The rock is going to fall on us. Run, or you'll all be crushed. And indeed, the rock was moving, crumbling all to dust. He ran under it with one last hope that he could add a prop. And as he disappeared, the rock came to a stop. So he predicted it. He happened to be there when it happened. And he gave his life to stop it from happening. But, of course, nobody realized it. The people ran into the street. But by then, all was still. The rock seemed where it always was and where it always will be. When someone asked where he'd gone, they said, oh, he was daft. Who cares about that crazy fool? And then they all started to laugh. But high upon the mountain, when the wind is hitting it, if you're watching very closely, the rock slips just a bit. An incredible lyric, fascinating story, and one has to wonder what the metaphor is for that. Who's the, uh, what is the rock that's imminently about to fall on us? And who's the sucker that uh, gave his life trying to bring attention to it? Let's give it a listen. 
The rock is gonna fall on us. He woke with a start, and he ran to his mother. The fear dark at his heart, and he told her of the vision that he was sure he'd seen. She said, "Go back to sleep, son. You're having a bad dream." Everybody knows the rock leans over the town. Everybody knows that it won't tumble to the ground. Remember, Chicken Little said the sky was falling down. Well, nothing ever came of that. The world still whirls around. The rock is gonna fall on us. He stood and told the class. The professor put his chalk down and peered out through his glasses. But he went on and said, "I've seen it high up on the hill. If it doesn't fall this year, then very soon it will." Everybody knows the rock leans over the town. Everybody knows that it won't tumble to the ground. With more important studies than your fantasies and fears, you know that rock's been perched up there for a hundred thousand years. The rock is gonna fall on us. He told the magistrate. I believe that we can stop it, but the time is getting late. You see, I have done all the research. My plans are all complete. He was showing them contingencies when they showed him to the street. Everybody knows the rock leans over the town. Everybody knows that it won't tumble to the ground. Everybody knows of those who say the end is near. Everybody knows that life goes on as usual round here. He went up on the mountain beside the giant stone. They knew he was insane, so they left him all alone. He'd given up, enlisting help, for there was no one else. He spent his days devising ways to stop the rocking cell. One night when he was working, building braces on the ledge, the ground began to rumble. The rock trembled on the edge. The rock is gonna fall on us. Ready, all the crushed, and indeed the rock was moving, crumbling all the dust. He ran under it with one last hope that he could add a prop, and as it disappeared, the rock came to a stop. The people ran into the street, but by then all was still. The rock seemed where it always was, or where it always will be. When someone asked where he had gone, they said, "Oh, he was daft." Who cares about that crazy fool? And then they'd start to laugh. But high up on the mountain, when the wind is hitting it, if you're watching very closely, the rock slips a little bit. High atop the mountain, standing next to the rock. Have you ever seen this painting by uh, Rene Magritte uh, called 
Oh, shit, what the fuck is it called? It's like called The Elements of Life or... Oh. Anyway, it shows like a lead ball standing by a doorway uh, and the doorway leads out to this beautiful beach. And next to the doorway is this easel and there's a painting of the beach that's so perfect that it actually lines up with the beach. You can't tell where the painting begins and the beach ends. And this lead ball is sort of in a way standing in this doorway. And if you stare at it for many, you know, years as I have, um, you can sort of sense that that lead ball is a person in a way. It's almost looking out the doorway at the beach. And if you can imagine that maybe this lead ball just got through painting this painting and it's inside a house looking out the door imagining what it's like to be outside, obsessing what it's like to be in the world, um, and uh, only being able to ever stand there in the doorway and imagine it, paint paintings of it, think about it, wonder about it. Uh, I think it's called the human condition or something like that. And uh, it's... <laughs> It's just, uh, you know, this um, sort of sense, this ache that uh, we'll always have, a part of us will always have, um, that, uh, you know, whatever it is that we're, you know, gunning for is just beyond reach. And, uh, of course, if it wasn't that way, you know, if, if you look at it from a logical point of view, if it wasn't that way, then why would we get up in the morning? That's the way it's got to be. A car crashed through a wall. And, by the way, I, I don't mean that's the way it's got to be because that's the way it's got to be. That's the way it had to have been in, us, in order for us species to thrive. If we weren't built that way or if we evolved into a creature that didn't have this, you know, unending dissatisfaction with our lot, then we would never have survived. A car crashed through a wall at a state revenue office without blocking the entrance. That worked out well for employees and customers. They continued to go about their business, renewing driver's licenses and vehicle registration registrations. No one was hurt when a 2006 Chrysler 300 driven by Fannie Lee Harris, 63 of Little Rock, Arkansas, burst through windows and a glass door at about uh, 2 p.m. yesterday afternoon. The office at the Ashley Square Shopping Center in North Rodney Parham Road in West Little Rock planned to stay open through repairs. We're the state revenue office. We don't quit for the rain, sleet, or snow, he said. Or is that the post office? Harris told police she didn't know what caused the accident, but said her leg must have locked up in the gas. Her husband... <laughs> Her husband, Charles Harris, was in the car next to her. I don't know what happened. He said, we drove up to park, and the next thing I know, we were coming in. It was kind of in slow motion. Harris said he was thankful no one was injured. Cashier Carla Chase said a woman having her picture for a driver's license was just a few feet from where the car crashed. The woman jumped over a counter to get out of the way of the vehicle. If I had just kept going, it would have pinned her, Chase said. The sound of it was the scariest part. If only she had just kept her foot on the pedal, she could have nailed that chick. Oh, well. 
next time. And by the way, you know, uh, uh, as freakish as a story as that is, the reason it caught my eyes is because the exact same thing happened to me. I shit you not. I was standing in a radio shack in Stanford, Connecticut, maybe about 10 years ago. And there was a church directly across the street with like a big horseshoe-shaped driveway. And this car went up the horseshoe, and it was nice. It was at the top of a hill. And whenever they had weddings there, it was just the most gorgeous picture. And traffic would always stop right there in front of that church to watch the couple, you know, coming down this this mountain, this little hill on the corner. And uh, then they kept going. They kept coming down the other side of the driveway, and they just drifted directly across the street and smashed directly into the radio shack that I was standing in. And they smashed through, like, the cell phone section, which was where I was standing, like, a minute earlier. I was already over by the counter making my purchase there. And they drove right into the fucking store, man. It was unbelievable. Turned out to be, like, some 97-year-old guy. And also, he, like, didn't know what happened. He may be, like, he thought it was, like, an early nap time. He doesn't know. But he parked at the top of the hill, and he just sort of snoozed, and it just drifted down the hill and straight across into the radio shack. These boots weren't made for walking. Customs agents at a Laredo port of entry found nearly two pounds of heroin hidden in the soles of boots in the luggage of a commercial bus passenger. These are the kind of stories that they're trying to get out there so that you know that, A, uh, you know, even the buses aren't safe because they're scanning the fucking luggage for drugs. Authorities said the heroin is worth about 170 grand, which means more like about, you know, 40, 50 grand. Uh, Whenever they say those prices, they mean like cut up into like the tiniest little, you know, packages. The bust happened uh, Tuesday afternoon as the man on the bus, which was traveling from Mexico to Texas, was selected for a secondary inspection. An imaging system noted something unusual with the boots. Officers arrested uh, Jose Angel Romero, 40, of Fort Worth on federal drug drug charges. You know, still, just seems uh, silly because uh, they just keep pouring through. For every, you know, Jorge that they fucking arrest, there's a million that just fucking pour through. I don't even know what the point is. Do you? Give me a call. Let me know. 646-502-8600. We were so close. There was no room. We bled inside each other's wounds. Melanie on Just Radio. Don't touch that dial.
I'm sorry, was that homophobic? No. I think it was. Because I hear that a lot. Dave, what? You're talking about being gay. You probably secretly are gay. And I'm like, listen, voice in my head, I'm not. How do you know you wouldn't like it? How do you know you wouldn't like it? I know I wouldn't like it, other scarier voice in my head. Because one time while making a sandwich, a cucumber went up my ass. Three times. If that ever happens, you need two things and two things quick. A pair of ice tongs and a friend who can keep a secret. Preferably your midget friend. Because no one believes a midget till it's too late. They're just too cute. They get excited, start jumping up and down. You think they're telling you a riddle or something. What? Cucumber up a man's ass? Is that where the treasure is? Well, then lead me into your midget world. Seasons in one day Lying in the depths of your imagination Worlds above and worlds below Sun shines on the black clouds hanging over the domain Even when you're feeling warm The temperature could drop away Seasons in one day Smiling as the shit comes down You can tell a man from what he has to say Everything gets turned around And I will risk my neck again, again You can take me where you will up the creek and through the mill Like all the things you can't explain Four seasons in one
it doesn't pay to make predictions sleeping on an unmade bed. Finding out wherever there is comfort, there is pain. Only one step away. Like four seasons in one day. Crowded House on Jester Radio, the uh, unplugged version. Super sweet. David Tell before that. Homophobic Melanie started that set uh, the with uh, Lay Down Candles in the Rain. You're tuned into the Ravings of a Clown this Thursday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2008. Blood dries up like rain. Don't worry about it. Chilling. Um, oh, I just found this story uh, that uh, freaked me out. You know how you're always afraid to complain that the food is no good because you're afraid the cook is going to put something funky in the food? A restaurant cook is out of a job and facing a felony charge in West Bend, Wisconsin after being accused of hiding hairs in a ribeye. Wait, it gets so much worse. Uh, because a customer complained that the first steak served to him was overcooked. Kevin Hansen, who dined at the steakhouse with friends and family on Saturday, said, he had ordered a 16-ounce ribeye cooked medium rare with a warm red center, according to the criminal complaint. When restaurant service manager Michael Libertori stopped by the table, Hansen told him the steak was cooked medium, not medium rare. Hansen declined the offer of a new steak, but Libertor persisted and offered a new steak for him to take home with him, which was the right thing to do. Libertor then took what was left of the first steak and showed it to Cop and the other cook on duty so that they can both learn what a medium-rare steak was supposed to look like. So then Hansen went to the police on Sunday to complain that there was a hair in the second steak. Police officer observed several strands of what appeared to be hair coming out of the middle of the steak. Now wait. Please. It gets worse. Crop, 24 of West Bend, was charged Wednesday with a felony of placing foreign objects in edibles carrying up to three and a half years in prison and $10,000 fine. Foreign objects and edibles. He was released on a signature bond. Crop admitted to police that he put a few of his facial hairs in the steak, saying that he was angry the customer sent the other steak back and that he thought he was just trying to get free stuff. And, of course, when you think that, you have all the right in the world to put your facial hair. But wait, wait, it gets worse. According to the complaint, a second kitchen worker told police Crop put a slit in the steak and pushed something inside and then stated, these are my pubes. You heard me. So he's trying to characterize it. Maybe somebody told him that no, you can't tell the difference between facial hair and pubic hair. Maybe that's right. I don't know. But now he's trying to float the story that their facial hairs, who the fuck pulls hairs off their face? I mean, I, I, I've had a fucking beard for the past, you know, five years. I can't pull fucking hair off my face. It would kill. But anybody could pull a yank a fucking bunch of pubes. Travis Doster, a spokesman for the Texas Roadhouse chain of 288 restaurants in 44 states, said this evening that Crop and the other worker were both terminated and that everybody in the restaurant got free pubic hair, I mean, free dinners. He said, the West Bend restaurant has an excellent inspection record. I just feel for the staff because they really work hard 
and one silly, stupid stunt impacts everybody, he said. So this kid, Crop, is due for a hearing in March 22nd in Washington County Circuit Court. We're going to follow the story. I wonder if there's a way to test. See, I'm obsessing about this. Is there a way to test if it came from his face or if it came from his pubic area? And if it did come from his pubic area, are there some special law? I mean, in other words, can there be extra harm on a legal basis? Because I think the fact, if it were, and I believe it was, he said, these are my pubes, and who the fuck pulls hair off their face? Of course, you reach down, you yank a few pubes, and you shove them in the stake. Of course. Who hasn't done that? A convenience store chain's billboard advertising its fried chicken sandwich is ruffling uh, feathers of some residents of Altoona, Pennsylvania. Sheets unveiled the crispy frickin' chicken <laughs> billboards <laughs> the beginning of February. The campaign consists of 100 billboards placed locations that carry the sandwich. Spokesman Monica Jones said today the campaign is aimed at young adults and the company did not intend to offend anyone. We kind of uh, known for edgy, brash advertising tactics. And we knew this would spark a certain amount of controversy, Jones said. That said, we're proud of the campaign. Sheets will take down the billboards on uh, Wednesday, I guess that's yesterday, when the campaign is scheduled to end. She said the company recently removed one billboard in Hazel Township near Hazelton after local officials fielded complaints. People actually went to the police and said there's a sign out there that says crispy frickin' chicken. And we want that taken down. There was a lady who left an angry voicemail. According to code enforcer uh, Fran Carlico, and a man called and said he had small children and didn't think they should be exposed to that type of language. Frickin'. I told him I completely understood and agreed. Sheets, based in Altoona, operates stores in Maryland, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Virginia, and, of course, West Virginia. Hey, you've been listening to the Ravings of a Clown this Thursday, February the 28th, the year of our Lord, 2008. Don't be so shy next time. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. It's so much fun when you call in. And we got some cool new shit uh, in the pipeline, including we're working on the back room for you. Any of the old-time listeners know that's a very special, cool place to go visit on the Jest Radio website that's been sort of cordoned off the past several years, but we're going to hurl open the uh, gates and just treasures galore. And the only way to get those gates open is to get your pass key right here on the Ravings of a Clown each and every evening from 10 to midnight Eastern time. Tell your friends, and here's another thing Bob the Engineer has asked me to remind you, that uh, after we sign off this evening, remember Jest Radio doesn't go off the air. We're on 24-7 bringing you the most uh, classic rock, folk, and comedy on the net, maybe in the world, maybe in the universe. So for that matter, leave it going. It's good for you, and it's good for us. Keeps our ratings up and keeps us uh, going. Uh, What else? Don't forget uh, to download the podcast. You can pick it up at iTunes, search for Ravings of a Clown, or you can go to JesterRadio.com and click on Podcast and follow the simple instructions there to uh, have that delivered to you free and easy each and every morning so you could take it with when you go out to walk the dog you can you know start uh, your day with uh, you know the news from the night before and some great tunes 
what else? Oh, yes, last of all, and of course, finally, uh, thank you so much for all the support. Each and every time one of you goes over to the uh, Jester Radio homepage and clicks that donate button, you assure that we stay on the air another night bringing you um, our oblique perspective with absolutely no ties whatsoever to the man or the church, no advertising, just uh, the most classic rock, folk, and comedy without uh, the bullshit. And we're proud to do that, and we're um, proud and humbled by your support uh, to all those that have uh, made donations recently. And please keep the cards and letters coming. Thanks so much for stopping by. Please remember to uh, be impeccable with your word. Uh, don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. And, of course, always, above all, most importantly, do your best. We will meet in that place where darkness never comes. That's my solemn oath to you. Until that time, Hustis, watch what you say. But they'll be calling you radical, liberal, fanatical, criminal. Tonight. See you tomorrow.